0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 100th episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. It's kind of a big one. We've got a lot of plots, a lot of dangling threads. We've got a Klingon civil war. We've got the return of Gowron, the introduction of the Duras sisters, the introduction of Bob, I fr- Tural, that's a name, Tural. The continuation of the Discommendation plotline, which would also continue in the future. Kern is back! Oh yeah, and there's this Romulan chick, I don't know who she is. Anywho, also Reagan was here for this one, and, and apparently related the Klingons to Congress. Strangely enough, for such a big episode, which garnered a decent amount of views, there's not a lot of behind-the-scenes information on this. Uh, some of you... Oh, oh, it's over there. The book's over there, so I can't show you, but, like, just trust me when I say the section on this episode is, like, this long, which is Nothing. Most episodes have, like, this big of a section. This is just one column, which is just like that, and that's it. It's not a lot of behind-the-scenes. A lot more in the next episode. I bring that up, though, because this episode's construction feels a little odd to me. We'll discuss why as we go through this. First of all, though, I point out that they are now at the Klingon homeworld, Kronos. Uh, given that they are at the Klingon border, that makes sense. Again, just kind of navigating the geopolitical, or excuse me, the, the geog- geographic positioning of the Enterprise throughout season four here. Then Picard, now this is interesting, Picard comes down and basically pushes Worf to finally settle this discommendation thing. Now I got a question for you. Why do you think it's Picard that has to push for that rather than Worf himself, given that we know just how much this bothers Worf? This came up relatively recently in the episode Drumhead, How much this bothers him, even when dealing with a totally unrelated matter? I have two potential answers. As usual, I'm curious what you guys think. My first potential answer is that Picard is literally bothered more by this because it is an injustice, a frank, outright lie, because of political reasons. In fact, specifically because of political corruption which is the kind of thing that the the, I feel that Picard would be adamantly against, that he would be virantly opposed to. The very idea of this kind of corruption is something that would bother him, especially given the stalwart, lawful good federation guy that he is. Second possibility, and these aren't mutually exclusive, is that he is allowed to express how much it bothers him, and Worf does not allow himself to express how much it bothers him. Thus, it's kind of like something I talked about recently, the boasting versus the humility. In other words, if I say blah, that's not as valid as if someone else says blah about me. Thus, Picard is allowed to be the person who says, this is a grave injustice, you should do something about it. And thus, Worf is allowed to agree with him, rather than Worf himself saying, this is a grave injustice and something must be done about it. It's food for thought. So, of course, we have a Civil War slash Succession Crisis. Of course we do. It's a uh, aristocratic uh, wrong word. This is an autocratic organization with a governing head, which is extensively political and has been ever since it's really been first introduced here in TNG. Of course, we're going to have a Succession Crisis. Let's talk about something really quick. We're going to get into a little bit of the politics because we kind of have to. This is literally a Civil War arc. Why is it you think the Duras family has such influence in the Klingon Empire? Keeping in mind that Duras himself is frickin' dead. Now, I've already given one of my theories on this matter. I theorize that Duras himself was not intelligent, not strong, not charismatic, not anything. He was a good puppet. He did as he was told, and was very good at doing as he was told. And the Romulans, who are far more Machiavellian... Uh, more capable, in other words, of manipulating and maneuvering the situation, are the ones who are actually the ones pushing and connecting politically. He was just the puppet, the mouthpiece. That that theory gains a little bit of strength in this episode, as we see the Duras sisters have effectively maneuvered the situation such that no matter what Picard chooses, this is going to be a win for the Duras sisters and their claim on the throne. Now... Picard even gives the wonderful insult you've maneuvered the situation with the skill of a Romulan. Very understated insult there. I liked that. Now that being said, I do have another theory, which is not mutually exclusive, as to why the Duras family continues to have power with Duras himself dead. How do I phrase this? This is, a, this is pure theory, but the idea is couched in the concept that there is a sufficient amount of, let's call it what it is, corruption within the within the Klingon hierarchy and the upper echelons of power such that they all want to be hidden. They want to remain corrupt. They want to remain having their connections and their power and their dirty dealings and all of the influence and strength and wealth that they enjoy. So they all support someone. You see where I'm going with this. They all support someone who is the obvious and overt mover and pusher They all have connections to Duras, and thus the house of Duras is strong. See the idea? And again, that's not mutually exclusive with the idea that the Romulans are still the ones actually connecting all of these people together to form their political web within the Klingon Empire. And once again, I remind you of something I've said before. The only thing that prevents how far you're willing to go is how valuable it is to you. And again, the Klingon Empire and the Federation drifting apart, extremely valuable to the Romulans the Klingon Empire becoming an ally, military ally of the Romulans, insanely valuable to the Romulan Star Empire. So I think they'd be willing to do this kind of multi-years-long, extensive resources and personnel operation in order to push this. The benefits are overwhelming for them. So we have a couple of scenes with Worf and someone else. First, it's Gauron. So Worf, is, Worf and Garon talk, and we talk about politics, of course. Worf, of course, approaches this from a fairly simple perspective. I am innocent, <laughs> because he is. He didn't actually do it. He accepted it, and I have the proof to show that Duras did it. Garon says, "Okay, uh, that's interesting, but not that useful." Worf's like, "Huh? Well, you can give all the proof you want, but the, the hand of the House of Duras has support, like I just mentioned." And, like, I just theorized as to why that is. So, in other words, the only way this would be useful is if they were able to chip away at the support of the House of Duras, not if they were able to try and, you know, just outright accuse, hey, by the way, we have proof, blah, blah, blah. It just doesn't cut it in Klingon politics. So, Gowron basically looks at this situation for what it can do for him, which is nothing other than stick his neck out more, and he says, nope. Keep that in mind. Just, we're going to do some characterization of Gowron throughout these two episodes. Then we see Guinan and Worf. This is a great scene. Not only because it's Guinan and she's awesome, and it's Worf and he's awesome, but what's really awesome about it is, as they're talking back and forth, what it really boils down to is the idea of her basically getting him to realize how Klingons are. It's never really fully sunk in with Worf how much of a difference there is between the reality of the Klingon Empire and his own personal idealization of the Klingon Empire. I've referred to this before as the Son of Mog Effect, which unfortunately I didn't come up with that term, a viewer came up with that term. I wanted to call it the Wharf Effect, but the Wharf Effect is an actual trope for something else. The Son of Mog Effect is when someone is an outsider from a culture and thus venerates the best parts of that culture and romanticizes it, and thus arguably then becomes the idealistic version of that culture, even though they themselves are not representative of the reality of that culture. Son of Mog Effect. And this is where Worf, this has already hit Worf before, because he's already dabbled in Klingon politics. This came up in Sins of the Father. This came up in Allegiance. But now it's really smacking him full on in the face. He has flat out gone to the person who is about to become Chancellor, who already is on his side, with proof, and he has been told, nope. Because that's not how the reality of Klingon politics works. And so it kind of smashes him in the face on this one, which leads us, of course, to the scene between Worf and Kern always awesome to see Tony Todd again, Uh, Kern basically says, no, we're going to go ahead and do things. Now, this is interesting. If you're paying attention, and I hope you are, what Kern was saying was that he was actually basically being supportive of a third faction because we've got Gowron and his relatively lack of support. We've got Duros and his significant political support. And then you've got, let's call it what it is, the military. And the military wasn't really, at this point in time, hadn't really pledged to either flag and was just kind of doing its own thing. And I bet you Kern is not the only commander with loyalty of other commanders who was thinking about basically saying, All right, let's just start over. <laughs> let's let's just make this a whole new thing. If In fact, if not for Worf's influence, we probably would have had a three-way civil war, which would have devolved into like a 17-way civil war as all of the military factions, or all the military, the military factions, disseminate into smaller and smaller factions as everyone starts scrabbling for the throne, which might have actually been the end of the Klingon Empire, if you're thinking about it. That's worst-case scenario, of course. But I mentioned that. Worf decides he's going to go ahead and do something, and this is very fascinating to me, because... Well, I'll talk more about this later, but he basically says we're going to support Garron. Just not right now. And you're going to do what I have to say because I'm the one who's in charge. Given what eventually happens to Kern and his family over on Deep Space Nine, it's always bothered me a little bit because that all started right here. I'm not going to say anything for spoilers' sake. Just, eh, anyways. So Tyral shows up, who is a moron. I get that that's the point, but he is a little bit irritating. He is effectively a child. He is a loud braggart of a child who has nothing to back up that bragging. And it shows that in every case. In almost every circumstance, when someone tells him to shut up, he does immediately. And he is shut down because every idea that comes out of his dinky little head is an incredibly stupid one. <laughs> so, and it, I don't even know what else to say about him. I, I Again, I get that that's the point. But I have not most else to say about Tural. Moving on. So... They start to talk about factionalization now that the Duras sisters have made a formal claim using Tural as their backing pawn. Funnily enough, by the way, Duras himself is being replaced by the illegitimate son of Duras, who is now going to literally be a more open puppet in the same sense that I theorized Duras himself was. I just think that's a little funny, a little bit of irony there, assuming I'm correct, of course. So they start to factionalize, and control of the fleet becomes a major point. Of course it does. Any kind of major succession crisis is going to lean and tilt on one of two things, money and military. And money isn't something they really talk about in Star Trek, so basically all of the focus is on who the military supports. And as we start to see bit by bit, the military starts to already factionalize, even amongst itself. So... That leads me to a part where a scene, which I don't like, Picard comes on, Worf is getting the data on you know, the, the Kittimer thing that proved that he was innocent, and Picard says, what the hell are you doing? This is a conflict of interest. I don't like that scene. I, I, I'll explain more about why later, but it feels like Picard is being, oh, what's a good word, stupid in that scene. Now, I get the point. He's trying to stay as neutral in this affair as possible. And he admits that he will make these records available publicly to anyone, which I'm actually kind of weirded out that they weren't already, but whatever. And that's as far as he's willing to go. So now they will have the ability to publicly pull the proof and say, yes, here, boom, I am, I am innocent. And I get the very strong impression the only reason he goes that far is because of how much, as I mentioned earlier, this injustice has bothered him. Remember, he's brought this up before this. Between the discommendation and now, this has already been brought up by Picard. This has been bugging him this whole time. So, Picard is called down to the surface. He has this little meeting with the Duras sisters, insults them as if they were Romulans. They pretty much make this point uh, very, very clear. They are playing at politics. They don't care about realities of law or anything. So... You could say against him, in which case we'll say that the Federation is tainted and we'll take over anyways, or you could support us and we'll have friendly relations with the Federation in the future. What's funny is I'm almost positive that's a lie because the Duras sisters, for all of their power and influence, and there is a significant amount of that, are ultimately, you know, oh, they're the Ducat to the Dominion, you know what I mean? <laughs> so <laughs> they're, they're still under the paymasters of the Romulans, and I don't think the Romulans would be okay with that. Anyways, so then Picard has to go down and finally rule, is this claim valid? And Picard says, no, of course it's not. What I love is he says it, this is so Picard, it shows his understanding and acceptance, uh, way to his ability to work through the, the me- measure of law, even Klingon law. He says, this boy has no honor. External honor, of course. He has not led any major battles, he has not killed any major foes, he has no great feats to his, his name. He has nothing and has done nothing and therefore is unworthy to rule, regardless of who his dad is. Bam. Invalid claim dismissed. It's a very wonderful scene, and I love the way he does that, because he does it in a fully Klingon way that the Klingons, and even those who are opposed to it, can't really push against, because he does do it the Klingon way. So then, well, then the sides basically split up. And I would have, I don't know about you, I would have had the Dura sisters killed on the spot, but I'm a weirdo. This is when Worf approaches Garron and says, I got four squadrons ready to back you. What say you? You know my price. Now, I hinted at this earlier, but I love this scene because what we have here is the unique confluence, and I'm not sure we ever have another example of this, of fake honor and real honor as in external honor and internal honor, in the same action. Worf will fulfill his vows and his, his honorable perspective of standing by Gowron and doing the right thing, while at the same time playing at politics sufficiently to regain his honor, his external honor back, it, thus making him congruent with his real honor because he is actually innocent. It's a nice confluence of the two concepts. Naturally, Gowron gowrons it up a little bit. Can I stop for a moment and say that I've heard a lot of viewers over many, many years, ever since I used to talk about this with kids at at the playground, you know. um, A lot of people either really like or really dislike Gowron, and I get why. He's a very divisive figure. He is a Klingon politician. and, And almost everything he does, and I mentioned this earlier, almost everything he does is all about focusing around what this can be for him. Okay, I'll go along with this because it'll increase my standing. Okay, I'll go along with this because it'll improve my power. Okay, I'll go along with this because it'll secure these loyalties, etc., etc. He is very centric focused, like you know, like a politician will be, and in this in this particular moment in particular, Gowron says, "Ah, oh, it's not enough. I need the Federation too," and Worf says, "No," and Gowron pushes him. Now, what's funny is Gowron's tactic is to basically shift directions entirely. He doesn't mention the the real reasons why he needs Federation support. Those actually come in later when he directly petitions Picard for this. Instead, he uses a completely different tact to try and provoke Worf into giving him what he wants. In other words, he does the same thing all Klingons do. They push, and they look for reactions, and they provoke. But Gowron does it specifically to provoke a, a, a particular response... That'll be beneficial to him. Then they're attacked. And the Federation doesn't get involved. Even though, even though a general distress call is sent out. They still refuse to get involved. Huh. Shortly after this, Gowron now sees the value of Worf and the House of Moog because Worf himself is an excellent tactical officer who more or less single-handedly helped salvage the battle, and Kern's ship came in, which enabled them to actually survive the battle and, you know, be able to succeed. Note that immediately after the Scowron goes and gets confirmed, I I still love that robe he wears. I want that robe in real life. And his very first act, literally his first action, within seconds of being confirmed legally as Chancellor of the Klingon Empire, the new Autocrat, first thing he does is restores... The honor of the House of Moog and removed the discommendation. Because that is how Garon plays. For all that can be said, both good and bad of Garon, and there's quite a bit of both, Gowron does pay his debts, universally, because he understands the value of such an option. If he didn't repay his debts, people would stop doing things for him. He is, in fact, a fairly intelligent politician in the fact that he adheres to his deals and actually tries to reward those who support him on a regular basis to keep them loyal, as opposed to a more typical stupid politician, which there's examples of that in real life and in fiction, of someone who will be like, do this for me, (laughs) ha ha, you know, you're screwed, you know. Anyways. So, here's where I get to to the part where I have to explain something. There's something that's been pissing me off the entire episode. And this is when it really comes to a head, because Gowron, who is now legally, lawfully, no-really, confirmed head of the Klingon Empire, and therefore an acknowledged head of state by a foreign power, in this case, the Federation, formally goes to Starfleet and requests military aid from their military allies against the insurrection forces of the Duras family, and Picard says, no. Why? Oh my god. God, I can't put into words how much this pisses me off. What kind of military ally are you? Yeah, I've got some, uh, an insurrectionist. Well, that's a purely internal affair. Well, then what good are you? I'm sorry. This actually upsets me. How stupid it is that they just kind of suddenly... Nope, nope. Anything internal is something we can't get involved with. And I know what you're going to say. You're going to say prime directive. I feel like I've given my point on the prime directive many times. I really do. But... (laughs) how are you able to operate as a nation which regularly engages in interactions with other nations while proclaiming that you don't get involved with internal affairs there's so many ways in which i could dissect how stupid of a statement that is if you really really don't want to get involved with the internal affairs of other nations then cut off contact then be isolationist, like all those other races we kept encountering in Season 4, and stop pretending at things like trade deals and military alliances. And I keep stressing that point, because generally speaking, a military alliance is like the, the highest step of coordination between two two powers, two nations, right? I mean, you know, there's there's contact, and there's trade negotiations, and then there's... Uh, I don't know, open borders, treaties, you know, you've played civilization, but you know what I mean. There's, there's so many different layers and steps, but to be at the point where you will send your troops to help them fight, and they will send their troops to help you fight, that's pretty much top tier right there. You are formerly, formally allies at that point. And you're gonna sit on your hands because this is a civil war. <sighs> An argument could be leveled, and I, I can already hear it in the comments section. An argument could be leveled that this because this is a civil war, they shouldn't get involved. Because the civil wars are a mess. Let's just go and acknowledge that. Civil wars are always a mess, right? But the problem is, you have to then decide what what qualifies as the actual foreign head of state. What I mean by that is... The Federation has to decide who amongst whatever other nation, we'll use the Klingon Empire, whatever amongst the Klingon Empire qualifies as actual, legal, acknowledged leaders of the Klingon Empire with regards to its dealings with the Klingon Empire. Otherwise, the possibility of internecine factions or policing or whatever means that they're, they're not sure if they're talking to someone that they acknowledge as someone who is a legally ratified representative of the nation they're trying to contact. Does that make sense? Now, by all accounts, and Picard himself has extremely personal experience on this, Gowron is that person. The legally ratified head of state. Formally confirmed by Klingon law, in accordance with Klingon tradition. Fully fully concluded internally. The fact that these people are fighting against him does not... I know this is a bit of a stretch, but this effectively, legally, isn't a civil war. Because... It's not two equal factions vying for control of leadership, it's one faction trying to usurp the legally defined control of the other faction. Gowron has been instated. He is the Chancellor, in accordance with Klingon law. And I I hate to keep banging on the legal side of things, but this is the Federation, of course they care about the legal side of things. So even by the Federation's own perspectives, they have to acknowledge Gowron equals head of state, equals Klingon Empire. And they're just refusing to deal with him, including his plea to help, his formal plea to help against insurrectionists, because at that point this really isn't legally a civil war, because it's still an internecine affair. Grow some goddamn balls. Oh, it pisses me off. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I am actually angry if it's not obvious. Then, what I love best is Picard gives no actual reason for this. The only reasoning he gives is it's an internal affair. Worf then comes over. And Worf, who has kind of learned the value of the combination of internal honor and external honor, uses both to approach Picard. It's a good scene, actually. Worf says, the Duras sisters are evil. They're with the Romulans. They have no honor. This is going to be a mess, and they're going to make a mess of things. Moralistic perspective, internal honor perspective, real honor perspective. Then he adds the external honor perspective because he points out the politics of the situation. If this war drags on too long, it diminishes the military capacity of the Klingon Empire, putting them in a weakened position with regards to the Romulans. If this war goes in favor of the Duras sisters and their forces, with the Romulans backing them, then what we now have is a Romulan-Klingon alliance, which is going to destabilize the entirety of both quadrants in a grandiose way, which is, of course, what the Romulan Star Empire wants. This is in the best interests, politically speaking, real politics speaking, of the Federation and the Klingon Empire, legally ratified Klingon Empire, to go ahead and get involved in this affair. Picard says his only counter-argument, I wish I wrote it down, is... No, I I don't have to tell you the the points of non-interference that every Starfleet officer... ...blah, blah, 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 regardless of personal feeling. I'm sorry, Picard, did you not hear that part about this being a destabilizing element for the entirety of both quadrants? Or you just just have cotton in your ears today? I'm just wondering. I've never wanted to smack Picard so hard. Not even season one. So then Worf resigns. Of course Worf resigns. What else is he going to do? Both internal and external honor tell him the same thing. He's got to do something about this. Period. And what I find funniest about this is Picard looks, like, bothered, almost angry that Worf would dare resign over this. Like, he's like, I can't believe Worf would do this. I don't understand why he'd make such a strange choice. Are you that disconnected, Picard? From reality? Now, that being said... The final bit where Wharf goes and there's a walk down the procession of troops, or troops, listen to me, of, of officers and, and personnel, and then he's beamed off. That was a nice send-off, and I've got to give credit for that. If anything, it was also powerful in its own right and happened to be a bit of a grabber, not in the same way that Best of Both Worlds 1 was, but a similar grabbing of attention. Because the possibility exists, the real possibility exists, of Dorn leaving the show. Or of this, dis, you know, changing into a new sufficiently cha- significant change in the status quo for the Star Trek universe, and that was just like, oh my God, think of where this could go. Now I'm going to go ahead and spoil something for you. Neither of those things are true, but I'll talk more about that next episode. It was still a nice send off, and it was a very long summer to wait for Redemption Part Two. <sighs> I am sorry for losing my temper. I hope you enjoyed my thoughts nonetheless. I'll see you guys next week.